Welcome, everybody. <laughs> We're glad you're here. Well, actually, you're not here. I'm there. And you're in your pajamas, right? Come on, admit it. Or maybe you dressed up and went to a friend's house uh, to watch together, kind of a watch party or a small group. Uh, we're glad that you guys have chosen today uh, to, to, uh, to, to be with us here at Seacoast. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm a sucker for inspirational movies. Anybody else here? You guys like inspirational movies? I mean, uh, when thinking about inspirational movies, I, I thought about um, Hacksaw Ridge. Did you guys see that? Uh, it was, I, I think the setting was World War II and the guy's name was Desmond Doss. But anyway, he is a conscientious objector because of his faith. He's Seventh-day Adventist and so he won't carry a gun and he gets a lot of grief for it. But ultimately in the movie, he ends up with his courage and by his courage, saving just dozens and dozens of his companions in a very stressful situation. In fact, he goes on and he wins the Medal of Honor. And I, I watched that movie and I say, put me in coach, you know, put me in. Uh, Selma uh, with Dr. Martin Luther King leads a march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge straight into the teeth of what he knows is gonna be there, uh, dogs and batons and what courage that that must've been. Schindler's List story of Oscar Schindler, who is a German businessman who saves over a thousand Jews in World War II uh, at the risk of his own life. And I, I, I watch that movie and I say, could I have done that? So what's my favorite inspirational movie of all time? It's got to be Braveheart. I mean, you can't forget Mel Gibson painting his face and wearing a skirt and yelling, freedom, you know? <laughs> and he makes this speech that any leader would love to make and he just encourages his guys to do more than they could ever have done before. And there's this inspiring great victory over the English, which is awesome if you're Scottish, not so much if you're English, but it inspired me, right? What's the common denominator? It's courage. It's real courage. You see, real courage stands out. Real courage inspires other people. Real courage wins the day. It wins the hearts and the minds of those who see it. You know, there's a story in Acts chapter four where real courage is on display. It's the kind of courage that stood out and inspired people and won their hearts and minds. Let me give you a little bit of the backstory and then we'll get into what I wanna talk about. Uh, Jesus uh, of, of course, is crucified. We celebrate his resurrection on Easter, his crucifixion on Good Friday. But it was it was the beginning of the Passover season uh, for the uh, Jewish people. It's a holiday, and the Jewish and Roman leaders think that that this is going to put an end to the problems that he's stirring up. This is going to put an end to his legacy, and for a short period of time, it does. His followers. Scatter. They don't know what they're going to do. And then Jesus raises from the dead on that Easter Sunday and he appears to his followers and, and then he ascends with some uh, instructions for them to wait until they are filled with power to receive the gift that he's giving. And 50 days after that crucifixion, 50 days after Passover, the day called the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up and he preaches and he confronts the injustice of Jesus being crucified. 
He calls out the evil power sources of the day. And he challenges everybody to save yourself from this corrupt generation. And as a response, 3,000 people are saved. Now, shortly after that, Peter and James encounter um, a lame beggar and uh, they heal him through the power of the Holy Spirit, which draws a crowd. And you know, that would draw a crowd. And again, uh, he preaches a powerful word and condemns the injustice of the killing of Christ and calls for repentance and 2,000 more people respond in salvation. Now that catches the attention of the religious leaders of the time. And so they, um, they lock them up and, and throw them in jail and give them their day in court. And as Peter is standing up before them, again, he preaches a powerful message. And he presents evidence uh, of the lame man and how can you deny what Jesus has done through them. The religious leaders begin to realize that there's a, a shift in the political winds. And so they let him go. And here's the key verse of that entire chapter. And I love it. Acts chapter four and verse 13 says, and when they, when the people, when the religious leaders saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So here's my question. What kind of courage astonishes people? What kind of courage just stops people in their tracks and causes them to listen? And I can see two or three things that I want to point out from the story. The first courage that astonishes people is simply the courage to change. The courage to change. If you know anything about this story, Peter was a changed man. I mean, uh, and apparently the change in him was astonishing to everybody around. He's a hot-tempered fisherman. Uh, he doesn't have much education. And the last we hear about him is he deserts Jesus in his time of need. The people in the crowd know who Peter is. They look around, is this Peter? Is, is this the guy that... You know, that uh, really he, he doesn't have the education to be speaking like he is. We don't know him to be this type of a man, but there's something different about him. There's courage, the courage to change. You know, my heroes in the church are the people that have had the courage to change. You know, every once in a while at Seacoast Church, I'll, um, I'll be in the foyer uh, maybe it's during the week or maybe it's after a service and somebody will come up to me and, and uh, they'll, they'll want to let me know that they just got a chip. Maybe it's a, a red chip like this that represents 30 days of sobriety. Or maybe it's a, a white chip that says 90 days of sobriety. Sometimes it's a black chip that says nine months of sobriety. Here's a special one. It's a one-year chip. It's a bronze chip. It says, for one year, I've been sober. One day at a time. Here's one that, honestly, when I saw it, it made me want to cry. It's uh, 16 years. <laughs> 16 years of sobriety. 
It came from a choice that said, I'm going to change. Always in these stories, they, it begins uh, usually with a, you know, a, a crash, a breakdown. And then they come to a point of admitting that they were powerless over alcohol or powerless over drugs. And then they come to believe that a, a power greater than themselves is the only thing that can restore sanity in their life. And then they made a decision to turn their will and lives over to the care of God. Well, those of you who are 12-steppers, you know that's the first three steps. And I want to tell you something. To me, that's astonishing courage. It's the decision that says, I'm going to allow the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that changed Peter, invite you into my life to change me. Well, you know, alcohol and drugs aren't the only thing that destroy our lives. In fact, as I was thinking about this, I thought they may be even easier to deal with because they're kind of socially acceptable. There's a lot of people that uh, have crashed and burned and then changed. And uh, we've got groups to help. But what about the courage to change a sexual addiction that's destroying your life? What about the courage to face and change racism that's so uncomfortable as it raises up within us? What about the courage to change anger? You know, I have a friend um, that I am so proud of. His story uh, is so inspiring to me. Anger had slowly destroyed his life. And you know, when people have anger, there's always reasons. And rather than responding or reacting to the anger, it's best that we go back and look and say, where, where did that anger start? What happened? And this, this, this guy, the anger had destroyed his life. He distanced his family, had broken relationships. And finally, he came to the end of himself. I'm not sure he ever went to a group, but I do know that he came to a point of admitting that he was powerless over his anger came to a point of believing that there's a power greater than himself that could restore sanity to his life and his relationships. And he made a decision to turn his will and his life. You know, he was already a believer. But you can be a believer and still be willful. How do you know that? But he made a decision, I'm going to turn my will uh, and my life into the care of God. And I watched him change. That's astonishing. That's astonishing courage. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you can relate to anger or a sexual addiction or, or even racism or alcohol or drugs or control or, or whatever it happens to be in your life that, that's creating insanity. And, you know, for you, in a few minutes, we're going to invite you to begin a journey to wholeness, to being with Jesus, because the courage to change astonishes people. There's another courage in this story, I believe, that astonishes people, and that's the courage to confront. The courage to confront. I want you to think for a minute about the stakes for Peter and John. See, they're standing before the same power base that crucified Jesus. There's nothing to say that this story is going to end well that they're going to come out of this story with their lives. 
It would have been very easy that day just to melt into the crowd. But they stand and they confront and their courage changes the day. If there's ever a time that we need the courage to confront, it's now. You know, it's inspiring for me to read about Mother Teresa challenging poverty and living amongst the poorest of the poor and helping them to thrive and learn and to grow. It's inspiring to me to read about the police and the firefighters and the citizens who confronted their fear and ran into burning buildings to save lives on September 11th, 2001. It's inspiring for me to read the story of Martin Luther King Jr. standing up for equal rights and civil rights. It's inspiring to read about Rosa Parks refusing to give up her seat on a bus. See, those stories are told over and over and over again. And here's the reason. Because that's the kind of courage that astonishes people. It's also the kind of courage that comes with a price. You know what? Here, here's what I thought. Here's what I thought. I thought 30 years from now, whose courage will they be writing about? Who will have the courage to confront injustices in our communities, in our country? Who will have the courage? This is probably a bigger one, to be honest with you, to confront the biases and the racism in ourselves or in our circle of friends or in our workplace, even in the church. Who will they be writing stories about? Who's willing to do the right thing regardless of how the story turns out? Whose courage 30 years from now will be astonishing and will inspire others? See, the courage to change is astonishing. The courage to confront is astonishing. And there's one more that I see, and that's the courage to create the courage to create. You know, we're, we're getting ready to re-enter into whatever the new normal is, okay? It's not gonna be the old normal, I can tell you that. We're creating the new normal. When the wind of the Holy Spirit swept through that room on the day of Pentecost, guess what? Everything changed. It was the beginning of the church. It was the beginning of a new world. It was the beginning of a new command that you love one another a new normal was created. In Acts chapter four and verse 32, it says at the end of this chapter, it says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. This, this passage almost replicates one in Acts chapter two. I think it's Acts chapter 244. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. But, but it says all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own but they shared everything they had. Now that's not an enforced political socialism. Don't get too you know, excited about all of that. I don't believe that's what it is. What it is, is a radical heart transformation that led to radical generosity, radical self-sacrifice, and radical concern for others over concern for myself. They lived as nothing that they had was their own. God, you gave it to me. Do you need to use it for somebody else? 
That's the kind of community that they had. The church was created and it changed the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we have an opportunity to create an incredible new normal if we have the courage to do it. See, we, need, we may need to create some new friendships. Uh, this past weekend, I had an incredible experience. Uh, two ladies, one of which I had seen and never really talked to, and the other who is a good friend of mine, just happened to, met, to, to, uh, to meet and have a conversation. One was jogging uh, uh, down a street, the other was working in the yard, and so they stopped, and one was white, and one was black. And they began to talk about what's going on in our country right now. And they said, let's do something about it. And so they formed an outdoor potluck. And it only took like four days to plan, all right? Actually, just a few minutes to plan, four days to bring about. And they invited their friends. And so we came. I don't know, there were 30 of us maybe, maybe a few more, maybe a few less. And um, and. And, and, and we ate together and we shared our stories and then we listened to everybody else's story. Um, and then at the end, we kind of chose one small project. We can't change everything that's wrong in the world, but we can agree on maybe one thing that we could do together and work on to make our community better. But mostly we did this, we made friends. You know how long that meal lasted? Four hours. Four hours of mosquitoes and no seams in South Carolina. Four hours of heat. It was a hot day. But it seemed like it went just like this. See? Now, nobody sprinkled magic pixie dust that caused us to, you know, see everything the same or be a part of the same political party or whatever. You know? We didn't have to agree on everything. You don't have to. I mean, there's some ideas out there that I think are crazy. <laughs> How do I know they're crazy? Because I think so. Okay, I'm the center of the universe, right? <laughs> Till I bump into you. And here, here's what I think. I, I think maturity is the ability to, to hold competing ideas, two competing ideas in your mind without going crazy. Okay? You don't see a lot of maturity on Facebook right now. But you know what? I don't have to agree with everything. I, in fact, I tend to think that some of the crazy ideas sift down and, and ultimately we get all upset about things that never happen. But uh, here, here's what did happen that day. Psalm 133 and verse one. How good, how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Amen. We've got to have unity. We need unity so desperately in our country. You know where it begins? It begins in the home, spreads to the church, says we make friends. And, and you know, we don't need uniformity. That's boring. Right. That's boring. We need unity. So we need to commit. Uh, here's what we did is we committed to make this a regular part of our rhythm. I don't know that we'll do it every week. We don't have time. But periodically, we're going to come together and we're going to talk and, and, and I came away that day feeling like that was church. I really did. I'm a, I'm a church planner. And I thought this, this is like, this is like really the early days of planning a church. And we don't all have to go to the same church. We've discovered that we are the church, even outside of buildings. 
And so I don't know about you, but I'm optimistic about the new season because we can do something. Uh, the question is this, what does your contact look, list look like? Does everybody in your contact list look like you, vote like you, talk like you? Well, I want to I want to say to you and challenge you that maybe one of the things you need to create in this new season is some new friendships. Maybe we need to create some new healthy rhythms. You know, in, in our quarantine time, how many trips to the pantry are you making every day? <laughs> I've got that COVID-19 right here, okay? <laughs> right here. Have you know those rhythms won't lead to a healthy life. Maybe we need to get some new ones. New work life balance rhythms. We've discovered some things during this time that hopefully we'll take into the next season and it will serve us well. Some new generosity rhythms. You know, what would it look like for you to be radical in your generosity? Like change the world type generosity. You know, that's going to require courage, especially in a season where we're really not sure where things are going. Maybe we need to create some new verbal rhythms. You know, one thing I learned a few years ago as I was leading a growing church and a growing staff is that language creates culture. How you talk, what you say creates the culture. So let me ask you, how's the culture in your home? How's the culture in your, in your team? How's the culture in the department? that you work in. We may need to learn some new words to help create the life that you desire. And it takes courage. It takes courage to create. So here's the question as I conclude. Where does courage come from? Where does that kind of courage come from? We go back to the original scripture. It says they were astonished by the courage of these men. And they took note. They wrote it down. You guys have notebooks you're writing down. They, they wrote it down. It was courage. It was astonishing courage. And they said, they, they, they took note of what? That these men had been with Jesus. <laughs> you know, men and women who've been with Jesus are always a threat to the status quo. I just want to tell you that. What is the status quo? That's Greek for the mess we're in. Okay. <laughs> and there, you may be in a mess in your personal life or a mess in your home or we're in a mess in our country. Well, it starts just individually with making a decision that I'm gonna be with Jesus. See, it takes courage to confess your sin. Sin of unbelief, sin of control, sin of anger, sin of racism, you, you just name it. It takes courage to say, you know what? I'm not gonna make excuses for it. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to mask it with something else. I'm just going to admit, I have sin. I've got a problem. But when you do, you receive the power to change, the power to confront, and the power to create. And what I want to do right now is the most important thing that we've done all day, is I want to invite you to be with Jesus. Would you, would you bow just wherever you are in the home, your neighbor's home, maybe you're, you know, uh, sitting outside right now. I want you just to bow, if you just bow your heads. And I want you to examine your own heart. And for some of us, 
We just need to, for the very first time, say, I'm going to be with you, God. I'm powerless in my own life to control the issues that I want to control. It's insane for me to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. I'm going to give up control of my life. I give my will and my life to God. Would you just whisper a prayer with me as you do that? Others of us, there may be just an area of, of, uh, uh, of sin, anger, whatever it is. You may be following Christ, but there's just these things that keep coming up and spoiling relationships. And it's your first step. You just say, God, I, I want to be with Jesus. Give me the courage and give me the power. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the wonderful people that are gathered right now in this place. Lord, I ask that your kingdom would come in our lives. We pray right now with those who are committing their life to Jesus. We're saying we can't do it on our own. We recognize that we're sinners and that sin gums up everything. We want to commit our lives to you right now. God, I pray that as we do, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna take just a minute um, to respond to God. Then we've got a a wonderful uh, worship song that we're gonna sing as we close today. But um, wherever you're sitting, maybe during the, the worship, you wanna reflect on what we talked about today. Maybe there was something that stood out to you. Maybe there was something that, Uh, you know, brought a a response that uh, was kind of surprising. Would you process that with the Lord? Would you do that? Maybe you rededicate yourself or rededicate whatever it is to God. Maybe there's somebody you need to talk to there in your home. And uh, you say, you know what? This spoke to me. And uh, I'm going to ask God to change. And I ask your forgiveness. And I ask your help. We're going to receive communion together, and you can do that any way that you want to. You take some bread, take some juice. Uh, Josh, a few weeks ago, gave us permission to have milk and cookies, and I've been doing it every day. Uh, But uh, just take some time just to reflect on who Jesus is and what he means in our life. What's God saying to you, and how are you going to respond to him?